This is the Trivium Dad Podcast. My name is Nick, and welcome. Dearest listeners, I'm here to ask for your support, not your financial support. It would be great if you could donate. It would help support the Trivium Dad podcast and Upward Enrichment Service. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, then leave a review because it will help other people find the show. And two, tell a friend about the show. Or better yet, tell a whole bunch of friends. Thank you. This program may contain strong languages and topics that might not be suitable for all listeners. This is the Trivium Dad Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jones. I'm thrilled to have Dave Cook, host of Recovery for Real Podcast, where he speaks to people in all walks of life about their struggles with any area of recovery, be it drugs and alcohol, coke dependency and anger issues. Dave is a training coach at a local celebrate recovery and director of housing for youth programs. He is a graduate of Purdue University with a degree in human services with a concentration in youth and family services and administration with a long list of volunteering and active in the broken chains motorcycle ministry. Dave, welcome to the Trivium Dad podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, Nicholas. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. It's my pleasure. And I think, you know, you have a great story that I think my audience can, you know, listen to and possibly learn from. So can't wait to, you know, go into this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. I love to tell my story. Uh, You know, if I can just uh, touch one or two people every time I tell the story. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And thank you for opening up and making yourself vulnerable. I know these kind of conversations could be tough, uh, you know, to put it out there, but you've been doing that, especially with your podcast. I've been listening to episodes. So I would definitely recommend first off after this, you know, my audience should definitely check out Recovery for Real podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we're uh, we're running through some some really good guests lately and and just touching on a lot of issues that I think everybody who's in recovery again and like you said earlier you, you know with any kind of recovery you know there you can be in recovery for a lot of different things it's not just drugs and alcohol like people think you know yeah definitely it could be it could be a whole host of issues like you know it could even be something as simple as gaming or you know, yeah, if it's vaping absolutely. or, you know, it could be any stretch of addiction, gambling, for instance. Anger, codependency, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of things that we can get off. Even food can be a, a thing, you know, because people find comfort. I, I sometimes like to, you know, take away stress by eating like my favorite food. So, yeah, it could be anything that could help, you know, uh, add dopamine into your system and to make you just exactly. And that's, yeah, you know, it just gets you away from what's happening around you. Yep. You got it figured out with that dopamine thing. That's exactly what happened. 
Yeah, I, I kind of knew that because when uh, before I, you know, when, you know, you do, you know, talk to people because that's really how you learn is by talking to folks throughout your life. They kind of right. explain, you know, why they do it. Do certain things, you know, I want to just uh, pivot and just ask you, you know, if you're comfortable, just please share your story with us and your struggles earlier in life. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, I'll give you my mini money. So we, uh, I could be here all night telling you for a lot of things, but I'll start out real quick and say that, you know, my, my very first memory when I was a child, uh, was my mom in the corner of a room, uh, behind a chair and my dad in the middle of the room. And, you know, I'm, I'm, what I know, I was, I was two years old, Nicholas. I was, this was a, a very, uh, traumatic event, I guess, in my life, because I remembered it too. And my dad, I just remember it being loud. And I was only there for a second because my big brother picked me up and took me out of the room. But as I, as I grew in life and started to learn things, you know, my dad was gone after that. That was, that was really the last time my dad was in the house that I knew of. Um, you know, my mom and dad got divorced. And, you know, later in life, I found, you know, that my dad was an alcoholic. Um, his dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. And, you know, the, the things that go along with alcoholism, um, you know, was just rampant through my family. Um, you know, my, my siblings, I have a couple brothers that have, you know, had their struggles with alcohol. <clears throat> my mother was an alcoholic. And so it was almost, uh, you know, a sure shot that I was going to end up, you know, in some kind of alcoholism, even though I said to myself when I was young, I wasn't going to become that alcoholic. I wasn't going to be like the rest of them. I was going to be the guy that got away. So I started smoking pot early in life. My brothers were a lot older than me and I used to hang out with them. Well, you know, they were partying all the time. And so it ended up by about 11. Um, I had, uh, one of their one of their friends had blown me a shotgun, and you know by twelve I was just getting high on a regular basis. So you know I was off to the races, and getting high was my thing. And of course I started drinking some too, but you know smoking pot was my big thing. And I uh, really ended up ruining my high school career. Uh, then I went into the Navy, which I loved, and I was a great sailor, but I blew it because, you know, I said I was never going to quit smoking pot. And, of course, I, I got kicked out of the Navy because I smoked pot. You know, they were doing urinalysis back then and just started it. So I went into a food service career, which um, ended up wrecked because of more more cocaine, I guess, than drugs. I um, finally got into something a little harder after uh, uh, a church breakup. I'd, I'd found, you know, I'd found Jesus uh, when I was about 30. And uh, before my wife and I uh, split up, um, we were, we were going to split up and we didn't, we ended up in church and ended up like a 10 year, I got sober actually for 10 years. But after a church breakup and some stuff happened, I ended up finding cocaine and so Jeannie and I really dove into that and um you know during this time I ended up having two sons at that point I guess and uh now 
I, I'm, I'm rolling on and, and get, get into the cocaine. It gets worse and worse. And I have a third, Jeannie and I have our third child and we're married at that point. I don't know. I, uh, I said probably 30 years, I guess. And we have our third child or 20 years. We have our third child and sometime, um, a little bit after that, I think Michael was probably three or four or something. I was home. I was unemployed and I was home and drinking as always. It's probably about noon. Um, my, uh, son came in and he said something to me that, you know, I construed as being, he was a smart aleck, you know, and I just went off on him. I started chasing him around the house and hitting him over the top of the head. And he jumped across to a bed. He was like 12, I think, 12. He jumped across the bed and I jumped on the bed and was going after him. And my oldest son came in and he was like, dad, what's, what's going on? What are you doing? Kind of got me to back off. And at that point, um, you know, in the alcoholic world, we call this our bottom. And that was my bottom day, you know, right then. And, uh, you know, I was uh, out of it at that point. And I knew that, you know, my time in the house was finished right at that point. Um, I knew that when my wife found out about it, you know, it was going to be over for me. And I knew that I needed help. And that was it right there for me. You know, it was, that was my point. And I ended up, um, ended up in rehab at that point. And I went for six weeks and that was a life changing situation for me. Uh, you know, I, I'd finally, you know, realized that, you know, I definitely needed help and I'd been in and out of trying to get help before, you know, I, again, I had that, I had that term of sobriety, but being sober doesn't mean you're in recovery. You know I mean? Sometimes it's easy to stop things just by sheer willpower, you know. You can do it, but drinking and, and drugging and stuff for me, and um, I think for a lot of people, is just a symptom of the actual, you know, internal things that's going on with you. You know, there's defects of character that we develop as we grow. And uh, because of a lot of things in our life, I mean, just, you know, because of childhood trauma, because of, you know, the way we were brought up or, you know, just several different things. And so we kind of mask them, I guess, with our, you know, drug and alcohol abuse or our food, uh, you know, issues or diving in and playing video games. You know, it's funny, you said something about gaming and stuff. You know, I got into that a lot when I was drinking and stuff because you know i i feel so bad about myself but when you're playing a game if you can just you can be the king of the world you know i mean you can get i was race driving yeah I, mean, I, I love to race cars and i would get on i had some real intense racing games and i'll tell you what you know if i was in there killing it i felt so good about myself you know i was just great but it was something, man, I sit and do that stuff for eight hours straight in a day. What a waste of time, man. I mean, and it's just like, you know, for me, that's just like a drug. You know, it made me feel so good. You know, I was high on doing that. You know, it was like awesome. So, you know, like you said, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can be addicted to. But so, you know, I did, I got into recovery and, and uh, 
for me, you know, in, you know, in the podcast, I'll talk about, you know, recovery is very different for everybody. Um, you know, it's, it, some people go to AA, some people go to NA, some people go to, I go to celebrate recovery, which is, a uh, you know, it's based on the, you know, 12 steps that AA uses, but they put biblical principles along with them. And so, you know, I, I do that, but there are some people that just go to therapy for, you know, their sobriety and their, their recovery. And that's what they do. And, and that's cool too. I mean, any way that anybody finds it, it's cool. You know, it's by me. I mean, I'm, I'm not one to judge anybody for sure, but that's kind of a lot what the podcast is about. I like to, um, I like to highlight all the different ways that people can, you know, get into recovery because I think it's important that people know, you know, recovery is different in everybody's life because everybody is different. I mean, each individual is different and each, you know, person's, you know, recovery, you know, needs to be different. I want to lead people to recovery no matter what it is. Um, you know, some people just think that, you know, their way is the only way. Well, that's not true. And, you know, for me, it's all inclusive. You know, I mean, I, I want everybody who is suffering with, you know, any kind of addiction, I want them to get free of that. And, you know, the only way to do that is to be able to explore until you find the right thing. So I probably want more than my story, but I, my story now, you know, I, I the now is, I went to college. I totally changed my focus in life. You know, I, I was a food service manager, I guess. And then I kind of floundered around until I you know, went into recovery. And I decided when I got out of recovery that I wanted to help people. And so I, I started going to college and ended up, you know, getting my, my human services degree. And uh, like you said, you know, now it's led me to, uh, and I've worked in a couple of recovery houses and I've done some different things and I worked for Teen Challenge, or I did my internship at Teen Challenge, which was a great program. But now I, I, um, I house 18 to 25 year old young adults who literally live in the streets, who are literally homeless. Um, you know, they're living in their cars and whatnot. And I, I work with a, a grant, um, a government grant, which is awesome. And I get to a lot of paperwork when we work with a government grant, but it's great because I get to take um, people and um, either today or tomorrow, I'm taking a kid and he, he lives in the street and uh, I get to put him in an apartment. I inspected his apartment yesterday and um, I've got some donated furniture for him and we're going to put him into an apartment of his own. And then we're going to work on all his you know, on everything else that he needs, you know, some employment help and education and health and safety and community life functioning and things like that. That's what we do. We do a bunch of case management once we get them in an apartment. And it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's, but it's my whole focus in life has changed. I mean, you, you mentioned I, you know, I'm a leader at my Celebrate Recovery. Um, I'm with uh, Broken Chains Motorcycle Ministry. And we, uh, you know, it's just, we're not a motorcycle gang, you know, we're just a group of guys who are motorcycle enthusiasts, but we found the power of Jesus Christ through a program called Celebrate Recovery. And, you know, we just go around and tell people about it. We ride, we do, you know, charity rides for people and, and, uh, we just ride around together and, you know, talk about, you know, what we, what we have been free from, you know, it's kind of a cool situation. So that's where I am now, bro.
you know, just listening, it just seems like your life has led you into what you're doing now, especially helping that young man uh, getting into that apartment. Uh, do you think like, you know, you were using drugs just to escape uh, what was going on around you from your childhood um, and then moving forward? Or do you think it was like more hereditary? Like, because, you know, you said it was like you saw your family doing it and so forth. Do you think it was a combination of both, maybe? I do, I do think so, Nicholas. You know, we are a product of our environment. And so, you know, when I was growing up, I, I uh, like, say holidays and stuff, you know, it was Christmas and, and um, you know, Christmas Eve is like a, you know, just a great memory of mine because all my family would be in the house and everything. But, you know, at Christmas Eve and stuff, you know, it wouldn't, it wasn't a bad thing to, maybe let the little kids have a little nip here and there, you know, maybe a little shot of drum buoy or, you know, maybe sneak in a few sips of some beer or wine or, you know, and it was never a big thing. Um, I had been at a uh, softball game once and I, I was trying to figure out when it was, I was probably like eight or nine or something and maybe even a little younger. And we were at a softball game and I went and up to the, you know how they had, you know, had the keggers. It was out there. And I went up to the keg and I hit under, put my head under the tap and, and my mouth and like I hit the tap, you know, and I drank a little beer there, you know. And in my family, that's a cute little story, you know. I mean, that's just, oh, you know, cute little Davy, you know, he did this at the game and stuff like that, you know. And so there was this nonchalant attitude about alcohol and, you know, it was just a normal thing. So I think that that was a big factor in it. Um, and then later on in life, and I'm just like everybody, like when I first started partying, it was just partying. I was having a good time. But again, that was the normal thing to do. And, you know, for me, there's a fine line about, you know, whether that's, you know, hereditary. Well, hereditary to me has a lot of different meanings, you know, and, and part of that is that, you know, that was the environment. I think there's a hereditary environment. Um, and I do believe that there are some biological factors that go along with it too. So, you know, but for me, I, you know, I started, you know, just having a good time, but once it goes on, just like anything, you know, you, you're, you're like you said, the dopamine, you know, you get, you get addicted to that rush of that dopamine. And especially if you're doing Coke, Coke and stuff, you know, I mean, when you start to do it harder drugs, you know, that really gives you that rush, but anything can, but you know, for me, I guess, you know, as I, as I, uh, you know, got more and more into it, you also build up those immunities. So you need a little more, you know, and you always, you know, you always need more. I need more alcohol, more Coke. And I stopped Coke way before I stopped alcohol. When I stopped Coke, remember I told you I was never going to be an alcoholic. You know, I told myself that, well, you know, I, that's when my alcoholism really kicked in. When I stopped smoking pot and doing coke, I was just, you know, I'm going to stop doing drugs. I did it. But at that point, my alcoholism kicked in. And then I was, you know, drinking by 11 o'clock in the morning and, and whatnot. And I have a, you know, a good friend that, you know, first really pointed it out to me. And he's still my friend. He's the only friend I had from back in my partying days. Well, my only friend I talked to a lot. And he, um, he was like, called me one day. I was about a, I don't know, two in the afternoon, he knew I was slurring my words and said, what time you start drinking today? And I said, oh, about 11. 
And so when are you going to get some help? And that was really about probably two months before I had hit my bottom. And do you think uh, doing alcohol and pot led you to cocaine? How did you make that transition to that harder drug? You know, so people always talk about that. You know, what do you think about gateway drugs? You know, I've been asked that a few times. And, you know, it's hard to say, Nicholas. You know, but I don't know. I'll tell you, I don't know many people that do cocaine or nowadays many people that do heroin that didn't smoke pot at some point in their life. You know, I almost feel like, you know, I don't know if it's a natural progression or I don't know how that works, you know, but I I don't know either. That's why I wanted to ask you. I had no clue. I wish I, yeah, I wish I had the answer to that. I mean, you know, that would be a, that would be a great help to somebody. And, you know, I've even lightened up on my thoughts about marijuana lately, you know, not, not because of the law, but just, you know, I'm older, you know, I'm 60 years old, you know, I just think about things differently now. Um, you know, like alcohol to me isn't evil, you know, it's the, it's the abuse of alcohol that's evil. And I, I sort of feel like, um, marijuana is kind of, um, rolling into that, um, zone for me, you know, personally of what I think, not that I, I can do it. Um, because I can't, because it's just like drinking. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm one joint away from, you know, smoking a, you know, a bag of pot, you know, every day. I mean, it's just the way it is for me. Cause I'm a, you know, I'm an addict, but for other people, I think those things are okay. Like my wife can drink. That's, you know, she has no problem with it cause she's not an addict and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me that she drinks. We go out, you know, someplace or she has a glass of wine with her sister at the house. I mean, I don't care about that stuff anymore. It doesn't bother me, but you know, I feel like I did, you know, just like I said, you know, I don't know many people that do harder drugs. that didn't start smoking pot. And so, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I guess people got to answer that for themselves. Um, I have a, you know, it's worth mentioning that, you know, I have two kids. I have, I have three, boys. I have a 33-year-old, 24-year-old, a 16-year-old, and I'm raising a five-year-old grandson. I'm raising a five-year-old grandson because of drug abuse. Um, my oldest son is a recovering heroin addict. So, you know, he, again, you know, what, like father, like son, maybe. Um, my 24-year-old is still in it. Um, he's not doing heroin. He's more of an alcoholic, but he's dabbling with some drugs that are pretty scary. So, you know, I mean, you know, that's just, you know, I don't know. That's scary for me, you know, having, having my kids roll on into that. Yeah, that must be, you know, tough to be dealing with that situation. And, you know, there's families out there that are dealing with this day in and day out. If you were to talk to parents who are turning to drugs to cope with stress, what would you tell them? And especially if their children, they see that their children are turning to drugs as well. Yeah. You know, my kids, all of them, well, my 16 year old didn't live the situation much because he was three when I got sober. But the other two, you know, they, they look at me and, um, you know, they're really proud of what I've done. I have, I have, you know, I've done a complete 180 with my life, Nicholas. I have gone the, totally the opposite way. And, you know, I would tell parents to, 
you know, seriously think about the effect of um, their use, um, drugs or alcohol, you know, on their children. You know, what are they seeing? What has been normal that they're seeing? Because, you know, as we raise children, we are, what we're doing is raising child raisers. Let that sink in for a minute. You know, we're teaching them how to raise their kids. And if you, you know, if we're drinking and drugging and, you know, all the things that go along with that, if we're doing that and showing them that that's the normal, then they're going to do that. And then your grandkids. And somehow the natural progression of things is showing that things get worse and worse. Um, I don't know about your area, but here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, there are people dying from heroin addiction every single day. And it's, you know, I, I know personally, I guess this year, I already know personally eight people who have died. And what are we in? We just started July. I know eight people that have died at least one a month from drug abuse. And, you know, and it's crazy. And a lot of them are people that, you know, had actually been in recovery and, you know, didn't make it. Um, so I just, you know, I, I urge parents to really look at their behavior all-encompassing, all you know. You really have to look at what we're doing in our life because it does affect our children, I mean, tremendously. Kids want to be just, even if you're good or bad, kids want to be just like their mom. Kids want to be just like their dad, you know. Yeah, we're their role models. So they are looking at us every day. And, you know, parents, you know, we we try our best. We don't get everything right. Um, we're, you know, people don't understand, like, we're trying to figure it out, too, as we go. It's not like yeah. there's a playbook out there that we could follow. And every child, every person is different. And, you know, if you're, you know, being raised in a single parent household, it's even harder because if you got to work two to three jobs, um, and come home and then, you know, you're dealing with your child and you know what they're going through, if it's school or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, it's a lot of stress that's being placed on people. And it, it leads to, you know, what people are going to do to find relief and to escape and to just not have to deal with what's going on, you know, in their house and in their mind. Absolutely. You are very correct with that. And you took the road to recovery. You realized that, you know, it was going to be something that was hard to ditch the habit. What was the hardest thing to do? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's tough. Um, it, really, the hardest thing for me was to change associated behavior. You know, I will say that it is, not easy, but I like to say the easiest part of being in recovery was to stop the substances, to quit, you know, drinking. Um, I went into recovery. Um, I went to the, the rehab, like I told you. Well, you know, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get any alcohol in there. So that was kind of easy. And, you know, 28 days will create a habit for somebody. Um, so, I was there for six weeks. So, you know, my habit of not drinking was already created. My body was, you know, used to it. And I will always say one of my favorite things is 
everybody finds Jesus in the joint. And that's an absolute truth. And that's a metaphor. It doesn't really mean Jesus. But, you know, I tell people that go into recovery, I'm like, you know, when you get out of the recovery, when you get out of rehab, that's your first day right there. The day that you're out in the real world is your first day. So, you know, the, the, the hardest, hardest thing is to actually live life on life's terms, as they say in, you know, the AA world. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's driving by the convenience store that you stopped at every single day to grab a pack of smokes in a, you know, tall boy. Um, you know, it's living that life. It's, um, it's having that argument with your wife without having storm out of the house, slam the door and go straight to the convenience store. In in a way, sometimes I felt like I used to create arguments so that I could do that. And so the hardest thing to do is just to start dealing with life without having any substances, you know, to, to help you through. And, and that, that never stops, Nicholas. You know, I'm 13 years into it in September, and it hasn't stopped me. Um, I have, I, I work right now um, on anger and pride issues. I work on, you know, I have this thing of, you know, I'm, you know, Dave Cook, you know, king of the world sometimes it seems like. It's just ridiculous how highly I think of myself. And, I, you know, that's something I work on all the time. Um, I, I don't have these, large outbursts of anger like I used to when I was drinking with my family and my wife, although I do, you know, and I will cuss at my, you know, 16 year old sometimes. And, you know, I'm I'm embarrassed about that. And it's something that I really work on in the car. I'm ridiculous. I am, again, I, I think I'm the king of the, you know, drivers, you know, I mean, I, I'm God's gift to, you know, the automobile and how it, how it's supposed to operate on the road. And I will sit there and just talk about everybody who drives, you know, that's an issue with me. You know, it's an, it's an anger issue and it's a pride issue. So, you know, there's, there's things, you know, that are, it's, it's not the drinking, you know, the drinking was the easy part for me. The hardest thing was the associated behaviors. And those are the things that's why for me, it's important to stay in a program. Uh, I just ran through the 12 step again for the third time with a group of um, the leadership group at my Celebrate Recovery. We did it all together. And it took us over a year to do it. Um, COVID kind of messed us up. We had to do some stuff differently. But, you know, it took over a year to run through those 12 steps. But I'll tell you what, I am a better man for it. And I'll do it again because I still got issues to work with. You just spoke about associated behaviors and it made me think, is it also associating with your friends who have similar habits and perhaps if they're continuing to, you know, smoke weed or drink and so forth, is it, is it at a point where you just got to say this friendship is not where is not going to work out? Like I need to get away from that to get away from the people who may be encouraging me and encouraging my habit. Also, you know, you know, in a way going against my recovery. You know, Nicholas, it's absolutely, uh, AA calls it, um, you have to change your people, places and things. And, you know, that's kind of a catchphrase, I guess. And, but it's a natural progression. It actually happens pretty naturally. You know, the people 
people that you're with, a lot of times, they weren't really truly your friends. You know, I told you, I have one friend that I used to party with that I talked to on a regular basis. I actually worked with him for years while I was in recovery. And, um, you know, the rest of them, I don't, I just don't hear from them because they were just acquaintances. You know, they were drug buddies. Um, I have one other friend and he's still heavy into it. I think he's doing crap now. I mean, it's just, he looks terrible and he'll call me every once in a while and, and I'll throw him a bone like a work thing, you know, here and there and do stuff for him. And, um, I talk to his mom a lot and, and, you know, and, but I just don't, you know, we never, ever hang out together ever. Um, you know, my other buddy, he can come over to the house and we hang out, we do birthdays together and, and, and he drinks, you know, which is fine because he's not an alcoholic, you know, and it doesn't bother me. And, and I think he's kind of funny when he drinks sometimes because he drinks three drinks or something like that. And he's all, you know, he's just goofy and, you know, that's cool. But I think it just naturally happens. You know, I walk by people, G and I, I talked with my wife about this the other day. I walk by people like at Walmart or something, you know, and and in different places and people that I, I have actually sat and partied with, I've snorted cocaine with, especially I've sat around and hung out and snorted cocaine and they will look right at me and I'll look at them and I know exactly who they are and exactly where we were. You know what? Those people haven't got a clue who I am. And that's, that's just crazy to me. And it's just, to me, it's just because people are just so into them. You know, when you're in addiction, you're so into yourself. You just don't, you know, so they never really noticed who I was, you know, and I've always been a studier of people anyway. So I, I know everybody. I mean, I, I, I don't forget anything and it's crazy. And, you know, I guess maybe even more now that I'm sober, you know, I mean, things just come back to me. And when you're in the 12 steps, you dig into your past. So you're always looking for what person did I do something bad to or, you know, who's done things to me or, you know, you're just trying to dig into feelings and stuff like that. So. But it's it's crazy. But again, you know, to answer that question, it's almost a natural progression. And, you know, if you're hanging out, if you're still going over to your party house, you know, you're going to have a hard time staying sober. And you're certainly not going to change any of your behaviors. You're listening to the Trivium Dad podcast. My name is Nicholas Jones, and I'm speaking to Dave Cook, host of Recovery for Real podcast. Dave, I have a question. I was thinking about it like I'm a father of three. I have a 15 year old, a 14 year old and a 10 year old. Like what signs should I look for? Like any indicators to see that my kids may be, you know, you know, going into that path, you know, using drugs. Is there anything I should look out for? Man, you're prime time, Nicholas. Uh, that 15, 14 year old. I mean, that is prime time anymore. I think that isolation and although teenagers do that i think isolation is a good sign they start wanting to be private um i think as parents i don't think that it's out of bounds to uh really um to require openness um with your kids to require to know passwords and to uh you know to actually search them out i mean go you know you need to stay into their stuff and you know because i think when, when kids start isolating, and I, I told my, um, my 16-year-old, when, I said, when you stop talking to me, I said, my, my antennas are going up, and I'm going to start digging. 
And, you know, that's, that's a big deal to me. I mean, I, I think that whenever a child stops talking, communicating with their parents openly, I think things are going on. Now, there is natural progression of teenage boys, especially, I guess, and girls too, you know, that I only know boys because that's all I've had. But, you know, I know that they will start backing off and they're trying to find their own identity, and you know, things like that. But, you know, I think as a as a parent, honestly, we need to be proactive because the world is so full of, you know, this past two years is so hard. Your kids, I mean, their age, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what happened with school, but I'm sure that they, you know, had to do homeschool and, you know, virtual school and all that stuff. This two years really had a profound effect on my 16-year-old. Um, he is, you know, changed so much and his natural changing from 14 to 16 and then you know being stuck in the house for you know a year and you know doing his school there missing out he's like a band guy he plays marching band and all this stuff all the stuff he missed out on doing and so it really you know i'm watching him and and he's doing that he isolates and you know he's doing that stuff i just stay off in him i mean i'm telling you what i just I'm not going to lose another one into drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, and his situation is different because he's actually been raised by a different dad. Um, you know, his dad is a, you know, sober dad, as far as he knows, you know, almost his whole life. But, you know, honestly, just watching their behavior change dramatically, you know, I think is a big thing. And just being secretive, you know, that when they start getting secretive and, you know, you can do that. You can start smelling for things. And, you know, to me, it's not beyond when I get, when I get suspicious, dude, I'm searching. I will search your room. There's no doubt about it. My house, my rules. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, if they're going to live under your roof, you have every right <laughs> to investigate and to see what's going on. So thanks for those tips. Absolutely. And what mm-hmm. should the audience listening today take away from our conversation? You know, there's there's a lot of things, but uh, for me, so I have a, 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 a niece who is in town, and uh, she's recovering alcoholic, and I have another niece recovering alcoholic, and uh, their brother has actually visited, and he was, um, you know, questioning, you know, his, his issues a little bit. So I always said, and I said to him, you know, if you even think that something might be going on, if you think that you might have a problem with uh, alcohol or substance, or if somebody, especially if somebody in your family close to you, a friend that loves you, has said something, go ahead and check out a meeting someplace. Maybe go five times in a row to an AA meeting and or a celebrate recovery or any kind of meeting you find new, narcotics anonymous, cocaine anonymous, whatever. Go to any meeting. I always recommend AA because there's a lot of strength um, in, you know, there's a lot of people who have got recovery time. But listen to the stories. You know, you don't have to say a word, but go listen to the stories of people who have been in recovery for a while. And if you hear things that are familiar to you, maybe you should be in that meeting, you know? So it's, you know, it's, it's really just paying attention to those who are around you, those that love you. If, if your substance abuse is causing you to miss work, 
if your substance abuse is causing you to have arguments with your family, if it's causing you to have um, trouble paying your bills, if it's causing you to have, um, you know, trouble with uh, work, if I didn't say that, you know, if, if your substance use is, you know, causing any problems in your life somewhere, maybe it's time to examine it a little bit. And if you go to one AA meeting and you don't like it, you know, there's, there's always, every meeting is different too. Like every meeting has its own flavor. Cause you can go to the, some buildings will have three different meetings a day. Each one of those meetings has its own personality because different people go to them. So, you know, don't give up right away. You know, it's good to go to one meeting five times in a row just to see what's going on there. You get to know people a little bit and see what's happening and listen to other stories. So again, you know, my, my uh, takeaway, you know, would be if you, if you, if you think that you might have a problem, there's a high percentage of a chance that you do and you should explore it. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I think your life experience has led you into what you're doing now to help the younger folks that are, you know, going through what they're going through. And I think what you're doing is going to benefit a lot of people. I think this conversation that we had today, whoever is going to download the podcast, uh, my audience will definitely, you know, find value in it. So thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Follow us on social media, UESNYS. Check out the website, UESNYS.com. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Thank you for listening.